The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. Amen and amen. Well, good morning, church. Oh, come on. Is this the 8 a.m. service? Good morning. 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 It is so good to be back. It's so good to see your beautiful, smiling faces. Man, we um, we had a great time. Um, overseas, and we can't wait um, to share with you um, some of the amazing things that that God really did in, through, and for our lives. But I don't have time to tell you all about that today because I've got quite a bit to cover, okay? So we're just going to jump straight into it. And today we're going to be continuing um, in the series that we started. I think it was about four weeks ago, and we titled this series Born Identity which really should be born-again identity. Um, because four weeks ago, we, went, we started a journey to discover who we truly are in Christ. You know, we went on a journey to discover our ID, our identity in Christ. And one of the things that we learned is that in order to be established in our identity in Christ, we need to know who our God is. You know, we also need to know who Jesus is. And, and we absolutely, in order to be established in our identity in Christ, we absolutely need to know uh, Jesus' complete redemptive work. And so we learned um, over the past uh, weeks um, that Jesus, he revealed himself to us in, in many ways. And in particularly in the book of John, we discover um, that he reveals seven redemptive names. And in this church, we say he d- revealed seven I am statements. And we've looked at some of the I am statements that we've looked at uh, over the last four weeks as we've looked at, we started off with I am the light of the world. We looked at I am the good shepherd. I am the door, I believe it was. Uh, Pastor H did a great job there. And then last week, um, we looked at I am the true vine. Amen. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the other I am statements. I am the resurrection and the life. And we're going to be looking at I am the way, the truth, the life. But today, we're going to be looking at Jesus's very first um, I am statement in the book of John, and that's I am the bread of life. Um, So we're going to go quickly to John chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 25, and we're pretty much going to read until we end. But in order to understand a bit of context uh, around the passages of scriptures that we are about to read, John chapter 6 starts off with the miraculous, uh, supernatural uh, feeding of, the Bible actually says it was 5,000 men. But if we're to include women and children, we we see that Jesus supernaturally fed over 15,000 people with with five loaves of bread and two fish. this, This was a mighty miracle. And so after this miracle had occurred, um, Jesus then goes into the mountains. But before he goes into the mountains, he instructs his disciples to get in the ship and sail across the Sea of Galilee. And he says, I'm going to meet you in the other town. Okay? And so we all know what goes down, right? The, the, the disciples, they get into the ship and they encounter this furious storm. And in the middle of the storm, they see Jesus walking on water towards them. To cut a long story short, Jesus gets into the boat, and the scripture says instantly they're transported to the shore. 
And this really gets me excited because I'm a Marvel fan. I'm a Disney fan. I'm a Star Trek fan. So when I hear that people can get transported like that, man, it gets me, it gets me fired up. But what happens is the next day, you know, these people that had been fed uh, all, these, all, these, uh, all this bread and all this fish, they wake up. And they find Jesus is nowhere to be seen. And in fact, they hear uh, Jesus has gone to the mountains and he's making his way to the other town. So they're like, bingo, we have a good idea. Let's hop onto a ship and let's get to the town. And we're going to get to the town before him because, you know, he's on foot. We're going to be on the ship. We're going to get there before him. And so it's with this context in mind that we get to John chapter 6, uh, verse 25. So the people get to the, to the shore. And they're surprised to find Jesus there. And this is what they said. They said, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Now in the NLT, uh, this is what it says. They say, Rabbi, how did you get here? (laughs) And so Jesus answers, but he doesn't answer that question. In fact, this is what he answers in verse 26. He says to them, verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me. Can we read it in the NKJV? You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. (laughs) And so with that single statement, Jesus exposed their motive. He says, you're not seeking me because you saw the power of God in manifestation, you know, the day before. He says, you're here because you got a free meal the other day. And you know what? You're here because you got a free meal. You want more, right? So Jesus is saying, I can see all of this. I can see through your shenanigans. You're here because you want your immediate, your immediate needs met. Man, this is, this is really funny. Jesus is funny, right? Anyway, in verse 27, he carries on. And, and I think this is a really strong um, exhortation uh, that Jesus was, was trying to help them with. And, and he says this. He says, labor not uh, for the food which perishes. And he says, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. I think this is really powerful because what, what Jesus was trying to do is he was trying to recalibrate their thinking. You know, he was trying to recalibrate their focus from, from, from natural things uh, to, to spiritual things. And he does this by, by contrasting, comparing and contrasting between natural food and, and essentially spiritual food. So the first thing he says to them is he says, labor not for, for the meat. Um, the New King James says food, right? So it's, it's talking about food. So he says, labor not, you know, for, for food which endures. Now that word labor, um, it means to strive for. In fact, it means to strive to the point of being consumed. And so he's saying to them, don't be so consumed by natural things. He says, don't be so consumed in this context by natural, by seeking and chasing after natural food. And, and the reason why he was saying this is he was saying because natural food is going to perish. You know, natural food is temporary. You're going to eat this food uh, today. And guess what? Tomorrow you're going to be hungry again. And so he says, instead of being obsessed, actually, obsessed is probably a better word for that word labor, right? He says, instead of being so obsessed with natural food, he says, what you should be laboring for. And I like the, the NLT puts it this way. He says, he says, what you should be spending your energy seeking. And the Passion Translation says this. It says, what you should be passionately seeking. Is, he says, food that endures, right? Food that lasts. You know, he's saying to these people, what you should be passionately seeking is food that, that when you eat, 
You're never going to be hungry again. And I love this passage of scripture because he says, you know, why we should be so passionate about seeking this type of food is because he says it gives everlasting life. You know, other scripture says, it's say eternal life. And so for many years, I used to think that uh, this everlasting life, this eternal life was talking about living forever until I discovered that everyone lives forever. You know, we are spirit beings. So when we die, it's not our spirits that die, it's our bodies that die. Our spirits will go on living forever. The question is, will you live forever in heaven or will you live forever in hell? Sure. And, and the reality is, if you're not sure today, we're going to take care of that, okay? Amen. And so everlasting life is not talking about living forever. It's also not talking about living forever in heaven or hell. In fact, this is what John 3, 36, I believe it is, uh, has to say about, about everlasting life or eternal life. It says this, it says, He that believes on the Son has everlasting life, not will have everlasting life. So everlasting life, eternal life, it doesn't begin when we get to heaven. If you believe in Jesus, everlasting life or eternal life is absolutely something that you possess right now in the here and now. And so what is this everlasting life, this eternal life that these people could have and, and that we can have if we will just shift our focus from natural things uh, to the things of God, to spiritual things. Well, this is what John um, 17 verse 3 says. It says, this is, this is eternal life. It says, that we might know thee, the only true God and Jesus, whom thou sent. And so it's, it's so simple. And I think, you know, we've so complicated this everlasting life, eternal life. Eternal life is simply knowing God and knowing Jesus. And that word know, it, it, it's speaking about intimacy. And so eternal life is, is, having, is, is having a life of intimacy, a life of personal relationship uh, with, with, with God and with Jesus. Man, it's, it's, it, it's, it's really about having a, a, the most intimate, the most personal relationship that you'll ever have on this earth. You know, with a, with a God, with a, a heavenly Father, who not only wants to uh, provide for you, but but who actually is able to to sustain and nourish you forever, permanently, spirit, soul, and body. And this is what these people could have if they would just shift their focus. And and so Jesus is saying to them, and I believe this is something that Jesus is saying now, and I'm so glad um, uh, Pastor T touched on the, uh, the verses that he said, because it's really, I feel the Holy Spirit is in sync, yeah? Because that's exactly what he told me to share right now, right? Um, but what Jesus is saying to, was saying to the people then, and what Jesus is saying to us now, is he's simply saying, shift your focus, change your priorities. Change your priorities. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit, as he was ministering, literally dropped um, the, 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 the scripture, Matthew 6, verse 33. Because this verse, um, I, I don't think we have it up. It's, um, we are now in verse 27. That's John chapter 6, verse 27. John, ch John chapter 6, verse 27 has a, has a sister verse. And the sister verse is Matthew 6, verse 33. Where, where Jesus, he repeats the same thing. You know, he says to us, you know, instead of chasing after natural things, instead of pursuing and, and hustling, you know, for things that perish, he says to them what? He says, seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he he says so beautifully, all these things. In other words, all the things you're tempted to obsess over, all the things you're tempted to, all the natural things that you're tempted to chase after, they're just going to be supernaturally added to us. Amen. 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 And so Jesus, Jesus is saying, change, change your priorities, right? And, and, and here I've got to say, I think it's time that we put first things first in our lives, church. It's time. It really is. You know, if, if, if you have uh, been struggling in life, you know, if your life has been, you know, a, a, a struggle after struggle, you've been struggling to make ends meet every month, every year, I want to I encourage you to start taking heed of, of Jesus' instructions and start putting the things of God first in your life. You know, start seeking after Jesus first in your life. And so this is what Jesus is saying to, to, to these people. But man, he might as well have been talking to a brick wall because it went way over the head. And this is what the, the people said in verse 28. They said this. They said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And so when I first saw this, I thought, okay, fine, maybe these people are actually getting it. Maybe now they actually want this everlasting life, this eternal life, but they actually don't. You know, in essence, you know, they want to do the works of God. They want to do the miracles of God. But here's the thing, they don't want Jesus. And, and so Jesus responds, and this is what he says. Man, I love Jesus. He says this. He says, this is the work, singular, of God, that you believe on him whom he sent. And so Jesus is saying, you want to do the works? There's only one work that needs to be done. And that one work, singular, is to believe. Well, to believe in what, Jesus? Well, to believe in Jesus and his works. Not yours, right? Jesus is saying that you want to do the works? He says, believe in Jesus and establish relationship. Man, this is cool. Because one thing that I found out in my own life is that when you have a personal, intimate relationship with God, one of the guaranteed byproducts of that relationship is that you will do the works of God. You know, when you have a personal, intimate relationship with God, one of the absolutely guaranteed byproducts of that relationship with God is that you will begin to manifest in your life all the works, all the miracles of God, and get this effortlessly. And so Jesus is saying to them, you want to do the works? It's simple. Believe in Jesus, establish relationships. Man, this goes way over the crowd's head. Because this is what they say in verse 30. They say, therefore, they say to him, okay, what signs showest then thou, that we may see and believe thee? What does thou work? And in verse 31, they say, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. And so the crowd start bringing up um, another amazing, miraculous provision. And that's the provision of manna. And so they say to Jesus, Jesus, you know what? We, We want bread, okay? Our fathers gave uh, well moses gave our fathers manna in the desert okay come on can you do better than that 
<laughs> and so, and so, you know, this manner, and maybe let me backtrack and, and maybe explain a little bit for you, uh, all of you who haven't heard about this manner. What happened is when the children of Israel uh, were leaving Egypt, and they, you know, effectively wandered around aimlessly in the wilderness for 40 years, God literally made it rain food from heaven. And so what would happen is every day the children of Israel would wake up and they'd find this bread-like substance um, on the ground. And, and, and God gave a very specific instruction about that manna. He told them, you need to gather up enough manna just for that day. And, and, and this is what would happen if some of them were tempted to overgather to hoard. What would happen is they'd wake up the next day and that excess manna they'd have would be rotten. <laughs> It would literally be stinky. It would have worms. So they'd have to throw it away. Okay? And so the only um, exception to, to that, the, that instruction that God gave them to gather up enough manna for the day was on the sixth day, where he specifically told them to gather enough manna for the Sabbath as well, right? So they could actually gather. I hope I'm getting this right. Okay? They could, they could effectively gather enough manna for, for two days. And, and I truly strongly believe that, you know, in doing this, the Lord was teaching them to rely on him daily for their everyday needs, right? I, I truly believe that this, this is, as bizarre as this instruction was, what the Lord was trying to, to help them establish is he was trying to help them establish an abundance mindset on the inside of them. He was trying to help them establish a mindset that believes in a big God. And, 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 you know, I always used to think about it. Man, this hoarding thing, for, for many years, actually, I, I meditated on this, on this hoard. Why could they just not hoard on this, on the, this manner? And, 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 I, and, and, and this is the conclusion I came to, right? If, if the children of Israel had hoarded the manna, they, they could have very easily fallen into the trap that many people um, have fallen into even today. And, and, and that trap is simply this. They could have fallen into the trap of trusting in the supply. Trusting in the supply of manna. Trusting in their bonds of manna. Trusting in their bank accounts of manna. They could have fallen in the trap of trusting in the supply rather than trusting in the God who supplies all their needs. Amen? And so here they were every day. You know, they had to gather up enough manna for that day. Every single day for 40 years, the children of Israel had to, had to trust God for more. They had to trust in the goodness of God to provide for them. Every single day for 40 years, the children of Israel had to give God the opportunity to do exactly what he said he would do. And you know what? God did exactly what he said he would do. Because every day he provided manna. Now, that word manna uh, is also translated or is also called bread of, from heaven um, in, other, in other chapters of the Bible. It's also called angel's food. It's called bread of the mighty. But, but all it was, is what a, it was a natural, natural bread that was really, really delicious and extremely nutritious. And, and this natural bread that rained down from heaven, it was able to sustain them. It was able to give them enough strength in their bodies, enough fuel in their bodies for 40 years in the wilderness. So that was truly miraculous. But of course, what, what we need to understand, and I've got to add it at this point, right? Manna, that natural bread from heaven, all it was, was it was a type and shadow. Right? It was a type and a shadow of a much greater reality. Manna was a type and a shadow of the coming Messiah, Jesus, 
who the same scripture says in verse 32, says, is the true bread of heaven. Right? Manna was just a type and shadow, right? Of the true bread of heaven who was coming. And man, he was going to do so much better than feed them uh, and nourish them physically, you know, for 40 years. He was going to come and he was going to sustain and nourish them spirit, soul, and body. Get this, forever. And so manna, and this is, I think, where Jesus is, is going to get to. He says, he's, he's trying to emphasize that manna, all manna was, it was just a shadow. And it was pointing, you know, to the true bread of heaven. Jesus, who was coming, who was going to be enough for their everyday daily needs. And, and why do I say this? I say this because Jesus is enough. In fact, Jesus is more than enough. You know, I always say this um, to people, if, if you have Jesus in your life, you have everything. Because Jesus is the answer to everything. In fact, Jesus is your answer to everything. You know, if you need healing today, Jesus is your answer. You know, if you need restoration in your life today, Jesus is your answer. If you need joy, if you need peace, if you need a breakthrough in your life, in your business, in your career, Jesus is the answer. Amen. And so, and so Jesus, he continues, and, 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 and he can discern this crowd is so consumed with their wanting to get their, their natural needs met, right? So he starts to get really specific, and this is what he says. He says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so what Jesus wanted these people to realize is he wanted them to realize that the true bread of God is not an object. The true bread of God is not a thing. The true bread of God is a person. And the scripture tells us that the true bread of God, if we can have it next verse, the true bread of God is a he. And you know what his name is? His name is Jesus. And so what I believe uh, that Jesus was saying here is he was saying, so what? If your fathers ate manna in the, in, the, in the desert. You know, he's saying, don't be so fixated on a type and a shadow. He's saying, the true bread of God has come. And I'm it. I'm it. But they were so mesmerized by a type and shadow. I mean, can you imagine... You're about to meet, you've organized to meet someone, you know, you're going to have a meeting with someone. And that person starts, you know, walking towards you and they turn around the corner. And the first thing that you see is what? Is their shadow. And so you see their shadow. Man, you start talking to their shadow. Hello, hello, shadow. And you start becoming so mesmerized with their shadow. Hello, shadow. You become so mesmerized with that shadow. When the person walks in, you completely miss them because you're so mesmerized with the shadow. And this is what was happening here. These people were so mesmerized with the type and shadow. And we're going to see in the next verse, they completely miss that the true bread of heaven had come. And he was standing right in front of them. And so in verse 34, this is what they say. Man, they said to him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. They say, we want a type and shadow. <laughs> we want manna. We want manna. Now, you know what, Pastor H, I'm so grateful that I'm not Jesus. Because at this point, I would have blocked them on Facebook. I would have completely blocked them on WhatsApp. I'm done talking to you. But we thank God that Jesus doesn't block anyone. Hallelujah. Amen. 
Because Jesus continues talking to him. Man, he's like long-suffering. <laughs> and this is what he says to them. He begins to say to them, you know, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He says, he who comes to me shall never hunger. And he says, he that believes on me shall never thirst. And so Jesus is saying, come on. I am it. I'm the bread of life. Now I want us to take note of what he's not saying. He's not saying, I am a bread of life. Because Jesus is not one of the 33 million breads of life out there. And you know why I said 33 million? Because I read somewhere that the Hindus, the, in the Hindu religion, religion, they worship over 33 million gods. And you know what? Jesus is one of the 33 million gods, apparently. And so Jesus, is, Jesus is, is revealing that he's not one of the 33 million breads out there. What he says to them, he says, I am the only bread. And he says, I'm the only bread that gives life. He's saying, I'm the only bread that will fully satisfy you with life. And I love that word life because that word life is the Greek word zoe. And you know what that word means? It means the God kind of life. It means the nothing missing, nothing broken kind of life. So Jesus is saying, I am the bread that will fully satisfy you with the nothing missing and nothing broken kind of life. He says, if you come to me. If you believe in me, I and I alone will give you eternal satisfaction. Man, if you want true fulfillment in your life, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you want to be truly fulfilled in life, call upon the name of Jesus. And, and this is what happens when people don't have Jesus in their lives. And, and actually when people don't know that they can find true fulfillment um, in Jesus, they, they try to get fulfillment in all sorts of things. You know, people trying to get their fulfillment in having the latest vehicles. They're trying to get their fulfillment in their business, in their career, in what they do in life. You know, people are trying to get their fulfillment in titles, yeah, have you ever wondered, you know, how on this good earth, you know, someone who's never done a bachelor's degree, all of a sudden, over two weeks, they do some course and, you know, they're insisting they want to be called a, a doctor. <laughs> it's because they're trying to get their fulfillment in their title. You know, they're trying to get some form of validation in their title. And so if they're not getting a fulfillment or seeking fulfillment in a title, some people actually seeking fulfillment in getting married uh -huh. or in being married. But here's what we teach um, single people. If you're single and you're sad, you're going to be married and mad. <laughs> you really are. Because God never designed to be the for marriage to be the place where you find true fulfillment. The only place that you can find true, true fulfillment in life is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Is in knowing who you are in Christ. Is in knowing what you have in Christ. Is in knowing what you can be in Christ. And is in knowing what you can do in Christ. You know, when I grabbed a hold of these truths, church, and I'm going to share something really personal. This truth set me free from approval addiction. This truth, knowing that the only place where I could find true, true fulfillment is in Jesus, helped me to overcome the need to have other people approve of me. Man, when I grabbed a hold of these truths, I stopped chasing the approval. I stopped chasing the validation of people. I stopped obsessing 
about what other people think about me. I stop obsessing about what other people have to say about me. You know what I realized? Because I realized at the end of the day, what other people say about me, what other people think about me is none of my business. And you know what I decided? I decided, Marshall, I decided to make my business to start getting serious about finding out what Jesus, the true bread of life, was saying about me. And you know what I found out? I found out this. I found out that before the very foundation of this world, I found out that before I did anything to ever prove myself, God already approved of me. I found out that before I was ever uh, not accepted in a circle of uh, people, before they didn't accept me, I was already accepted in the beloved. Amen. And so Jesus reveals such a powerful truth because he says he is the truth or true bread of life. He says, if you partake of me, this is the thing, you will never hunger for people's approval again. If you partake of Jesus, you will never hunger for things or hunger after things again. And you will never, never thirst again. Amen. Amen. Let's look at something else. Um, Let's look at Psalm 103. Psalm 103, um, we're going to read verses 1 to 5. The psalmist says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Then he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, the reason why David was encouraging his soul and encouraging us to not forget all of God's benefits is is, is this church. We we live in a fallen world. And, And you know what? Life happens. I like to say this. Life has a way of lifing. And so because life has a way of lifing, we, we, we have a, a tendency to forget. And so we need to be intentional about reminding ourselves of the benefits that come with receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We need to be intentional about reminding ourselves of the benefits that come with our salvation. And so what are those benefits? Well, in verse 3, he says, who forgives all thine inequities, all of them. And so, so one of the benefits is that of salvation is, is the forgiveness not only of our past sins, the forgiveness on not only of the sins that we're going to commit now as we drive home and someone cuts in front of us in traffic, but we also get one of the benefits is forgiveness of the sins that we haven't yet committed. I think that's pretty cool. That's a cool benefit. And the second benefit, it says, who heals all thy diseases. Now, you know, forever we always used to say, PT, we always used to tell people that that word all means all. It actually means nothing left out. Nothing left out. So as far as sickness is concerned, nothing was left out of the redemptive work of Jesus. Nothing. No headache was left out. No stomach ache was left out. No cancer was left out. No type of heart disease was left out. Nothing. No disease that exists today was left out. No disease that is to come that is yet to be named was left out. Absolutely nothing was left out of the redemptive work of Jesus because why? He healed everything. And verse 4, it says this. It says, who redeems thy life from destruction. The message translation puts it this way. It says, he saved my life. You know, I can't tell you how many times he saved my life. And he saved my family's life. Because one of the benefits of our salvation is divine protection. You know, I was working late one night, um, and my daughter, my eldest daughter, 
you know, she came to me and she said, Mom, I really want to sleep in the spare bedroom. And I said, Babe, you know the rules. You know, we've got rules in this house. Um, we can, one, we, we, we're trying to raise disciplined children, okay? So we've got very strict rules. And, and one of the rules that we have is you, everyone needs to sleep in their own room during the week. And they need to sleep at a certain time. So I said, Baby, you know the rules. And she says, Mom, I really want to sleep in the spare bedroom. And then she went back. And I think she came out three times. And she kept insisting that she wanted to sleep in the spare bedroom. And eventually, I just let her sleep in the spare bedroom, right? I, I just, I, I felt she needed to just sleep in the spare bedroom. And, and then for good measure, I just said, Baby, grab your sister and sleep together in the spare bedroom, okay? Because I just didn't want to have Tinaya, our younger daughter, complain, you know, that I was letting Manessa break the rules that day. Anyway, about an hour later, after she's moved, the two girls have moved uh, to sleep in the spare bedroom, I start hearing this loud sound, like water, like rushing, like water, like fast rushing, you know, I, I can't even describe it, but it was like water uh, literally flowing. And so I woke PT up, and I said, babe, I can just hear all this noise, it's like water, and he said, no, uh, it's, it's probably outside, it's okay, go back to bed, and stuff like that, because you wanted to sleep, right? But anyway... Um, <laughs> so I, I, I sat at my desk and I'm still hearing this noise and I said, babe, we need to wake up. There's something going down, right? So we went downstairs, we looked around, we looked at the pool, there was nothing. We looked in the rooms, etc. And the closer we got to Manesu's bedroom, the louder the sound became. And so it finally dawned to us that that sound was probably coming from Manesu's bedroom. And so when we flung open that door, for the first time in my entire life, I was speechless. And I like to talk. <laughs> I had nothing to say. Because what had happened is the geezer above our girls' bedrooms had completely burst. Right? And there was so much water pressure on the, on the ceiling, on the roof, that the water had literally caused the roof to collapse in. And not only, you know, did the, the roof effectively just collapse into the bedroom, all over the beds, but there was now boiling hot water that was flowing from the top of the roof, and get this, right onto the bed that Munesu would have been on. I thank God that Jesus saved Munesu's life. I thank God that a 10-year-old heard the voice of God. And when she heard the voice of God, the voice of God saved her. And I just feel very strongly uh, to encourage you all. You know, we are living in a time, we're living in the day, we're hearing the voice of God for your life is no longer optional. We need to hear the voice of Jesus. We need to hear the voice of Jesus for ourselves. And so Munesu heard the voice of Jesus, and Jesus saved her life. Thank God. One of the benefits of our salvation is that he saves our lives. And the scripture says this, it says, he crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies and he satisfies our mouths with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle. Oh, PT and I are claiming that, man. We want, we're going to live long and we're going to live strong. Okay, and we can, we, every one of, we don't have to get old and old as we die, as we get older. You, we can get younger and younger. Come on. You know, they still ask me. 
for my ID <laughs> in certain places. And that's one of the benefits of our salvation, is we can have eternal youth. I don't know, you can laugh, uh, Pastor H. You're going to get old, I'm not. <laughs> and so practically, how do we stay reminded of all these benefits? You know, let's be practical, because we're a practical church. Right? How do we stay reminded of all these benefits so that we can begin to appropriate them in our lives? Well, one of the ways is, is through taking communion. Taking communion. Partaking of the communion bread and, and the wine is, is a natural act with a spiritual uh, meaning and significance that's aimed at, at, at one thing and one thing alone. It's aimed at reminding us of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so it's so important, church, that we don't take communion as a ritual. Communion should not be a ritual that we just blindly uh, 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 you know, uh, carry out. It's a reminder of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. And once we are reminded of Jesus, you know, once we are reminded of what he accomplished on the cross, then we are reminded of his benefits. In fact, I say this. Taking communion is, is one of the best cures for forgetfulness. And that's why the scripture commands us, instructs us actually, to do it as often as possible. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11, and it's the second last verse before we close. And we'll go to verse 23. So this is Apostle Paul speaking. He says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, it says he broke it and said, Take, eat this body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And so Jesus, the third, one of the things he, he instructs us to do during communion is he instructs us to, to break the bread. And I'm going to tell you why he instructs us to break the bread. It's simply because in doing so, as we break the bread, you know, what we're reminded of is we're reminded of Scripture. You know, we are reminded of Scriptures, uh, one of the Scriptures being Isaiah 53 verse 5 that tells us that he was wounded for our transgressions. It also tells us that he was bruised for our iniquities. And so for, for many years, I used to think that, we're, you know, I, I didn't really understand why that word bruise was used, right? Because usually a bruise is like a little scratch, a little, you know, it doesn't feel that significant. Until I discovered that that word bruised actually means this. It means broken to pieces. Broken to pieces. And, and so what, what Isaiah is saying is he's saying Jesus' body was broken to pieces for our inequities. And, and the reason why his body was broken into pieces for us is so that our bodies wouldn't be broken. It also says he was wounded for our transgressions. The reason why Jesus was wounded for us is so that we could be well. And so when we break the bread in our hands and when we partake of the bread, what we're doing, church, is we are reminding ourselves of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We're reminding ourselves that Jesus is the true bread of life. We're reminding ourselves that Jesus is our true source of healing. He's our true and only source of wholeness. He's our true and only source of health. And you know what this does? This strengthens our faith to receive our healing. 
And so the real power in communion, and I'm about to kill some sacred cows, is not in the elements. You know, during COVID, we had to, we didn't have those fancy little communion cups and the cute little wafer. We had to be quite creative, right, in, in what we used for, for communion. And one of the things we used, we used our, our little girl's sugary biscuits. And then we also had a, a bottle of Coca-Cola in the fridge. So we used Coca-Cola uh, for, for, for the wine. And I can, I, I, can, I can tell you right now, there is absolutely no healing properties in Coca-Cola and, and, and sugar biscuits. In fact, I read that Coca-Cola has more sugar in it to kill you. So if anything, it would, uh, Coke, it, you, you're, you're drinking that Coke by faith, okay? So the, the, the real power of communion is not in the elements. It's also not in the act. The real power in communion is the power of remembrance. Because what communion does is communion puts us in remembrance of the tremendous price that Jesus paid for our salvation. And when we remember what Jesus did, you know, when we focus on what Jesus paid for us to have, what it does, church, is it stirs up our faith. And it's our faith that grabs a hold of what is rightly ours. Amen. You know, on the night um, before the children of Israel uh, left, uh, left, left Egypt, each family uh, was instructed to partake in what they called a, a Passover meal. In fact, this was the very first Passover meal that they had. Now, pa the Passover meal, again, was an Old Testament shadow, foreshadow of the Holy Communion in the New Testament. But, but here's the thing that we all need to realize. Both the Passover meal as well as Holy Communion, both of them were pointing to Jesus. And both of them were pointing to, to the work of the cross. And so during that first, uh, in preparation for that first Passover meal, God instructs each of the families um, of the household to, to select a lamb. And he, and he specifically tells them to select a lamb, he says, without blemish. And he says, when you select this lamb, you're going to use its blood. Remember the story? And you're going to apply this blood over your doorpost. Because what's going to happen is the angel of death is going to pass over, right? And, and, and because he, when the angel of death sees the blood, he's literally going to miss your house. And, and your firstborn sons are, are going to be saved. And, 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 so, and so here's where I want to get to. And I'm, I'm so sorry, I actually don't have time to read the scripture. But in, in Exodus 12, the whole chapter there, God begins to give very specific instructions on how to eat the lamb. And, and this is what he tells them. He tells them that the whole lamb, the whole lamb, every part of it, you know, needed to be roasted in the fire. All of it. Its head, its legs, everything. Its internal organs, its eyes. Every part of the lamb needed to be roasted. And he also says, sets very clear instructions about how to eat it. He says, every part of the lamb had to be eaten. It's kind of like how some of us eat our chicken today. Yep. Okay, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw myself under the bus because I should actually say this is kind of like how I eat my chicken today. I eat everything, including the bones and the marrow. Why wouldn't you eat the bones and the marrow? So anyway, God told them to eat everything, right? <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, I always used to wonder, why did God tell the, 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 the children of Israel to, 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 to roast the lamb like that? Why, why did he tell them to, to cook it in that way, right? And, and this is what I believe. I believe, you know, God wanted them and, and he wanted us to see Jesus. Jesus, our Passover lamb, bearing 
every sickness, every disease in every part of his body on the cross. That's what I believe. I believe, you know, the Lord wanted us to see Jesus take every sickness into his body from the top of his head to the very sole of our feet and everywhere in between. And you know why Jesus did that? Why Jesus took every sickness, every disease uh, uh, into his body from the top of his head to the bottom of the soles of his feet and everywhere in between? Well, he did that so that we could be healed in every part of our bodies, from the top of our head to the very sole of our feet and everywhere else in between. Amen. Nothing is too small for the work of Jesus. I want to tell someone this. Nothing is too small. And, and nothing is also too big for the work of Jesus. Amen. And so going back to exhibit A, let's go to verse 25. It says, after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so this is really powerful because what we see here is we take communion in remembrance of Jesus, not in remembrance of our sins. Not in remembrance of our disease, not in remembrance of our sickness. We take communion in remembrance of Jesus and in remembrance of the cross. And then verse 26, this is where I'm meaning I want to end. He says, for as often as you eat this bread, the communion bread, and as often as you drink this cup, um, the scripture says, you do show the Lord's death, show the Lord's death till he comes. Now that word show... It means to preach or to declare. And so when we're taking communion, what we're doing is we are preaching. Preaching to who? We're preaching to ourselves the Lord's death. You know, when we're taking communion, and this is so very powerful, church. I really need to get you. Is there anything you don't get? This is the one thing you need to walk out with, right? When, we're pr when we are taking communion, what we're doing is we are declaring we're declaring to ourselves what Jesus paid for us on the cross to have. And so the scripture says, as often as we're taking communion, in other words, as often as we're preaching to ourselves, as often as we're declaring to ourselves what Jesus has done for us, then here's what happens. The scripture of Romans 10 verse 17 says this. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I like what the NLT says. It says when we are, when we are preaching to ourselves, when we're declaring to ourselves Jesus, you know, he says faith comes from hearing. And it says hearing the good news about Christ. And so when we hear ourselves proclaiming, when we hear ourselves declaring the good news about what Jesus did for us, then you know what happens? Faith begins to spring up on the inside to receive everything that Jesus appropriated for us. Why don't we stand on our feet? Amen. 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 I want to read uh, verse 26 uh, in the Living Bible, if we have it. If we don't, I'm going to read so you, you can pay attention. But the scripture says this. It says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, it says you're retelling the message of the Lord's death. That he has died for you. And it says, do this until he comes again. And so the real power of communion it's, it's not in the elements, church. It's not in the acts. The real power of communion is the power of remembrance. And, and when we take communion, 
we're retelling ourselves. In fact, we are telling ourselves again the message of what Jesus paid for on the cross. The message of what the true bread of life has provided for each and every single one of us. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you for Jesus. We want to thank you today for yet another opportunity to be put into remembrance of Jesus, of the tremendous price that Jesus paid on the cross for, for us to have life and have life in abundance. Father, we thank you that today we can live, we can have eternal life. We can have the most personal, the most intimate relationship that we will ever have on earth, all because of Jesus. And Lord, we just make a commitment that we will forever remember Jesus. We will ever be put in remembrance of Jesus and everything that he paid for us to have on the cross. Jesus, we just thank you this morning for every single person under the sound of my voice. Lord, we submit their, uh, their lives to you this morning, their careers to you this morning, their businesses to you this morning. But Father, above all, we, we submit their, their, their bodies to you, Father, and the lives of their families to you, Lord. Father, we thank you that you are the true bread of life. Jesus, you are the true bread of heaven. And right now, we just speak to everybody that is sick, we speak to everybody that is in pain. We rebuke that pain right now in the name of Jesus. We speak to every migraine. We speak to every headache. And we say, go in the name of Jesus. We speak life into bodies, not only of bodies that are ill this morning in this place, but also that are not well online. We speak life to these bodies right now. We speak the Zoe kind of life right now. We say nothing missing and nothing broken in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And Father, we just thank you for your goodness. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say amen. And amen and amen and amen. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today.